Good morning. <clears throat> Good to see you all. I'm Pastor Tom, if, in case you forgot. Um, I've been gone about 10 weeks on sabbatical, and it's great to be back this morning. And first of all, I just want to say thank you so much to the congregation and to the board for that opportunity to be able to pull back and especially to focus on various kinds of things the Lord put on my heart. And so one of those things that I've been working at for about six years is a doctoral project, which turned out probably wasn't the hardest thing I've ever done academically. Chemical engineering was definitely harder. But in terms of the longevity of it, it was harder in that way. And so just appreciated that here in the last 10 weeks, I've been able to really focus on my project, which is during times of suffering, how we grow and mature, the decisions we make, the things that happen to us, how we work those things through. And hopefully in the end, I'll have a workbook, a book, study to be able to help uh, anyone who is going through times of suffering process that and grow in that. And so, again, just thank you so much for the opportunity to pull back, just go down to my basement every day. Kathleen was up in her study working. I was down in the family room, and we got along pretty good. And uh, it all worked out really well. And so the other thing that I had opportunity to do, another thing was, well, a couple other things. One was to start a missions organization funding mechanism that I'll talk about a little while, but also we got a chance to go over to a pastor and wives retreat and really spend some time encouraging other pastors and wives and being ministered to. And so that really fits with what we're talking about this morning because we're talking about go and our go strategy. In our lives, there's this balance. There's a pulling back and a time of retreat, a time to call upon the Holy Spirit to fill us and to submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and then to go. And so I know sometimes we begin to talk about missions partnership, we begin to talk about being a witness. Some of us say, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so busy. And that's not God's intention for us to be constantly busy, constantly so tired. God wants to fill us, and then out of the overflow of our lives, we give witness to what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. And so, like I say, it really fits with what we're talking about this morning. As Pastor Ryan said, we're in a two-week series that we are calling Go, and it's about going, following the great commission that God has given us. Now, on the front of your bulletin, you'll see that strategy, this new strategy, pictured, and you see various levels of going, various activities and partnerships that we envision that God is leading us toward. I'd encourage you to take that home, put it in your Bible, put it someplace that you can just pray with us, and ask the question, I'm going to ask this question at the beginning and the end, how do you see God leading you to be involved? Where do you see him connecting you locally, regionally, and globally? We're called to go. It's God's mission. It's his mission. And we're called to go here, there, and everywhere as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
Now we're going to be in the book of Acts, so if you have a Bible, paper Bible, electronic Bible, it's all the same. Open up your Bible, you'll get a lot more out of the message if you're following along. So the book of Acts is a brief history of the first 30 years of what God continued to do through the church. Some people call Acts the Acts of the Apostles, but I think a better name is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the action of the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of the disciples there and the way He continues to work in and through our lives, in and through our church. This diverse group of people who are fishermen, farmers, tax collectors, God brought them together and used them. They didn't have big programs. They didn't have buildings. And God used them to impact the world even to this day. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The primary message of this section is that as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we go here, there, and everywhere. It's God's mission. He started it. He'll continue it. And he invites us to be involved with him. That's, this is what Luke discovered, so let's begin by reading verses 1 and 2. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Luke writes to this person named Theophilus, and the name Theophilus means lover of God. Now there's debate, is this just a generic name or is it a real person? I think it's a real person that he's writing to. And his name means lover of God. We're called to be lovers of God. Remember, Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're called to be lovers of God. And as we love God, we're involved in God's mission. We respond to how God is leading us. Now, the book of Acts is a continuation of what Luke wrote in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, he wrote about what Jesus did, what he saw, what he experienced, what he researched. And we might even call the book of Acts, Luke, volume 2, because he continues to talk about what God had done. Now, back in that day, people would write on papyrus scrolls, and so they could have a roll that was about 35 feet long, and then they really needed, otherwise, if they didn't go to another roll, another scroll, be kind of a big scroll to carry around. So we have two scrolls. We have Luke. We have Acts. And God used Luke, who was a physician. We find medical words that he scatters throughout Luke and in Acts. He was a historian. We have archaeological discoveries that confirm what Luke wrote and throughout the Bible. But particularly talking about Luke, he was a companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul on various missionary journeys. He ministered to Paul physically, and Paul ministered to him, and they were partners together. And we're talking about partnership this morning. And so one of the things to think about is that we join together, one with another. We're a community of partners, in a sense, as we go here, there, and everywhere. The book of Acts tells about 
the work of the Holy Spirit that he began, he continued to do, and he continues to do. In fact, there's one denomination, they call themselves Acts 29. Does anybody know how many chapters there are in Acts? 28. So, that brings up the question, what does Acts 29 mean? It means that the work of God continues. That's why they took on that name. There's 28 chapters in Acts. We're the 29th chapter of what God is doing. Each of us are called to be involved in God's mission in some way, somewhere, somehow. We teach. It says in, Luke 1, in Acts 1.1, he says that the Gospel of Luke, the former book, was written about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we know that when we go to the Gospel of Luke, it tells us in Matthew 9, well, just jumping over to Matthew 9, it tells us that Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. We know that Jesus continued to teach after his resurrection. Here in verse 3, after his suffering, it says he showed himself to these men. He gave many convincing proofs. In other words, he taught them. He told them about God's work. He showed them. Over a period of 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, when it talks about these proofs, another way to translate it, King James Version has infallible proofs. The idea is like evidence that would be presented in a court of law. Well, we might call it apologetics. It's infallible proof. It's evidential proof to show who Jesus is, God's plan for what he has done, what he's doing. It says he showed himself to them. And this word is in Greek a word ophthalmia. It means uh, eyes. Like we get ophthalmologist from that uh, particular Greek word. It means he showed them who he was. That's the picture that's given there. In fact, Peter picks up on this in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter says, and I'll just summarize it, you can look it up. Peter says, We didn't just make this stuff up. He said, We didn't invent these stories. He says, We were eyewitnesses of what we tell you about. The gospel is gospel truth. It's God's truth. First John. John writes in the same kind of way. He spent time. He and Peter and the rest of the disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They'd seen him, heard him, ate with him, hung out with him, had fun with him, talked with him, been challenged by him. And John says, hey, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched. We've had our arms around his shoulders. We've been there with him. We've walked with him. We've hugged him. That which we've looked at, have t our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The church didn't begin. The church isn't just a great theory. It's reality. It's Jesus who he is, what he's done, and the work of the Holy Spirit that continues through us. They gave a witness of what he had done. 
And so likewise, this is what we know. This is what we teach. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20, tells us to go and make disciples, teaching the disciples to obey. That's a part of our calling. It's one of the most important things we do around the world is to teach others, to help others to be grounded as disciples. So another thing I did during the sabbatical was to start this missions organization that we're calling Pastor Training International. And I don't know if you know this. I've talked about it a little bit before. Around the world, about 85% of pastors in Asia and Africa have little to no training for teaching the Bible. A lot of times what will happen is some people will come to know Jesus as Savior, and then they'll look around and say, who's going to lead us? And they might grab a person who's been a leader in the community. They might grab the person that's the most educated, but oftentimes it might be just like an elementary education. A lot of the education really lacks in terms of understanding what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it. So they, they say to this young man, hey, you're the pastor. And what happens is, for example, when I was first doing this about seven years ago, there was a guy who developed a friendship with me, and he began to share a little bit about how his preaching, his teaching had been transformed by this program we involved him in. He says, yeah, he said, when I used to go and teach at my church, what I do is I had about a half an hour motorcycle ride to get over to the church. So I'd get on the motorcycle, and I'd pray, Lord, what do you want me to say today? And in a half hour, he'd make up his message, and if Love came into his mind, he said, I'd talk about love. Faith would come into his mind, that's what we would talk about. And he just talked about how through the training that we passed along, we call it Pathways, he was able to grow and learn how to preach, how to explain the Bible, how to teach the Bible. And so this, uh, there's a particular group here you see a picture of, if we can go back to that. That's one of the groups that we most recently trained over in India. And this fall, I'll be going back over to do some more training and so one of the things I've been doing is raising support through this Pastor Training International and I have to tell you it's hard to raise support. I really um, really empathize with missionaries, with those involved in missions and I encourage you to think about no pressure at all as far as supporting me. Love to have you join in and support but I'd encourage you to think about it from that caring, sharing, encouraging standpoint. And you probably heard missionaries say before, it doesn't matter whether it's $5 or $500 or $5,000. And that really, I think, one of the things I've discovered, that really is true. It's sharing together, encouraging. And so if you like to do that, praise God. If you're not led to do it, that's fine too. But just whether it's me or whether it's any of the missionaries we support, think about it in those terms, in terms of partnering, in terms of caring and sharing and encouraging. Let's go back to the text in verses 3 and 6. In Acts 1-3, tells us during his last days on earth, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. What is that all about? One easy way to think of it 
is to think about Jesus is talking about himself as king. He wants to be your king. He wants to be your leader. So a primary message that we talk about as the theme of our congregation is that we help, help others to find and follow Jesus. We find and follow Jesus, and then we help others to find and follow Jesus. And that's essentially what we're saying when we say that Jesus is our king. We follow him. And this is a message that comes up over and over in the Gospels. Jesus says, the kingdom of God's in the midst of you. In other words, it's here. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. The kingship of Jesus is here. Now, if you jump down to verse 6, Jesus says, or Luke says, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I wonder if Jesus is thinking, guys, are you going to get this? Now, it's kind of hopeful because there's times when we don't get it. But Jesus has been telling them for three years, there's a kingdom, an invisible kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. They're still thinking Jesus is going to come and wipe out those Romans. And he's going to set up that kingdom right here, right now, this political, powerful kingdom. And they're thinking Jesus is going to give each of them a role in his administration, and things are going to be set. And Jesus had to remind them and us over and over again that his kingdom is greater and better, and that our primary goal is not to build a great organization. Our primary goal, though we minister to the hurting, certainly an important part of what we do, our primary goal is to share the gospel. Our primary goal is to share the good news of Jesus with a hurting world, to proclaim the reality that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine and for those who are in Polk County, those who are in Iowa, those who live all across our great nation, those who live around the world. That's our primary mission. We don't do it on our own. Acts 1.8 is a key verse in here. And so verses 4 and 5, I wish we had more time to spend on verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now the Holy Spirit brought about the beginning of the church. And we could spend more time on that, but we're going to focus on verse 8 in particular. Jumping down to verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Following Jesus is about the life-transforming work of God in your life as he forms us to become more Christ-like. If you look down at verse 15 of Acts 1, you see there was about 120 people that were commissioned to change the world. To the disciples, and then in total there was about 120. Fewer people than were at church this morning. 
that Jesus says, you are going to change the world. And maybe some of them thought, yeah, right, Jesus. But given God's spirit, given the witness that they had of what the Lord had done in their lives, you notice in Acts chapter 2 that Peter preached and on the day of Pentecost that there were 3,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus as Savior. And then you go over to Acts 2, verse 47, it says that on a daily basis, people were responding to the gospel and proclaiming Jesus as their Lord, as their King, as their Savior. They were repenting of their sins and turning to Jesus and trusting in Him as Lord and Savior. The same invitation that He gives us to be our King. That 120 people, God did that through them. Not through their programs, not through their organizational ability, but through the Spirit of God. Through giving witness to the Spirit of God. Acts 1.8 is a key verse in Acts. It's about the power of the Spirit and how God works. It's really kind of an outline of what happens in the book of Acts and what happens beyond the book of Acts. Zechariah proclaimed the Spirit of God and talked about, he says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, Zechariah 4.6. That continues the repeated fillings of the Holy Spirit that took place in Acts should take place in our lives as we respond to the Spirit of God. Acts 4.31, they prayed and the place in which they were gathered was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. The work of the Spirit is not a luxury. It's not an added-on kind of doctrine. It's an essential part of what we do, essential part of God's plan in your witness. We're powered by the Holy Spirit. We're a witness here, there, and everywhere. Witness is another key word in Acts, 29 times in the book of Acts. What's a witness? Witness is merely someone who tells what they've seen and heard. Just like, again, in the court of law. You have a witness that comes up. And the judge might say, did you see the car accident? Yeah, I saw it. She hit him and the car spun around. And you're a witness to what happened. And God calls us in the power of the Spirit to be a witness. I know Pastor Ryan, a few weeks ago, preached a series that he called Awkward. And how can it be kind of awkward talking about Jesus with friends and family? And here's the deal. If you've seen what God's done in your life, if you've experienced that, you can share. We've talked about this uh, before, that... Your story, my story, our story of what God has done is something all of us can share. And I was talking with somebody after the first service, and they were reminding me and said, yeah, and nobody can argue with that. People can't argue when we say, here's what God did in my life. You think they're going to say, no, he didn't. Well, yes, he did. And your story, your witness is at least... Something you could share. Now, hopefully, you can go on and share a little bit more about what the death and resurrection of Jesus means. But certainly, all of us 
empowered by God's Spirit, can give a witness. Here's another little insight, just for something for you to think about a little bit. This word witness, the Greek word is martyria, from which we get our word martyr. And the other thing we know, not only the 12 apostles, but all throughout history there have been people who have given their life as martyrs for the gospel so that we might have the opportunity to trust in Christ. And even today, one of the things that happens when you go overseas and begin to talk with believers in Christ and leaders in Christ, they'll share, as you get to know them, about the pressure that they sometimes have in various contexts where politicians, culture, society is against Christians, is against Christianity, and there's persecution that takes place, and sometimes even martyrdom that takes place. So these kinds of things continue. Final point. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You say, well, I don't live in Jerusalem. No, you don't, but they did, and that was their local place of mission. And then Judea and Samaria was a regional place of mission, and then to the end of the earth. And so for us, we have a local place. We have a neighborhood in which we live. Whether it's here in Adel, Waukee, Dell Center, Van Meter, wherever it is. We have a local place where we live and where we have opportunity to come to know people and talk with people. And the Lord says here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just talk about who God is, what you know. And then go to some harder places. Judea, go regionally, go over to Des Moines. Go to a Samaria kind of place, like we were talking about Chicago, where people dress a little different. Maybe they talk different. Maybe they look different. Cross some boundary lines, get a little bit uncomfortable. That's Samaria. And pray for God's help. It's hard to do. Pray for God's help to do what's uncomfortable to do. And then to the end of the earth, that's obvious. Go to all places around the world. Cross social barriers, cross religious barriers. Take the gospel to people who are Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and people that are atheists. Go everywhere to every group bringing the good news of Jesus. Another way to summarize it is Hang out with your family, with your friends. Tell them. People you come in contact with at work or at school, or while you're out shopping in Des Moines, tell them. People that you intentionally go to, people that we together partner with, let's go together. No matter where we live, we have a witness through the Spirit, here, there, and everywhere, into all the world. That's what our mission strategy is all about. And so, beginning question, I'm going to conclude with it again, is where are you involved? Where is God calling you to be involved? And I encourage you to pray about that, think about that, ask God how, 
where and when you can be involved in one opportunity. Dean Scott's going to come up with some friends that are involved in Cowboy Church, and they're going to share a little bit with us about what God's been doing. It's been exciting over the last few years just to see as Dean stepped out and others have joined in and to see what God's done over the last few years. How long has Cowboy Church been going, Dean? Five, six years now? Yeah? Yeah, it's been exciting just to see what God's been doing, going to continue to do. And the group is growing. Last uh, service, we only had about five. Now we see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, come on up, Nancy. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for letting us share a little bit about Cowboy Church. You hear maybe a lot about it. You know, we have Cowboy Church, and there's pictures going to be up on the screen talking about showing you kind of Cowboy Church, and what that, what I'm here to do, first of all, my name is Cindy, and we have a team, Randy, and Don, and, and Dixon, Sherry, um, Dean, Nancy, Emma, and Peggy, and we're just a small group of people, and there were some people, other people this morning, that we are just trying to do what God is calling us to do, to go, and to share, and to help people find the love of Jesus, um, and we have just have an opportunity that instead of, um, People that might not come through our, our beautiful doors in this beautiful building, that they are not comfortable doing that. We just want to give an opportunity for people to come and to um, find Jesus and follow him. And um, again, so Dean will tell a little bit about, but you know, how kind of Right Turn got, got started. But, but Cowboy Church, Right Turn Cowboy Church is a ministry of New Hope Church. It says your ministry. So we do invite you to get involved. And so um, we really, it, it's, it's just a, a very informal setting to just get together, fellowship. Um, we have different activities anywhere from riding horses to chasing bulls to, I mean, not bulls, but chasing um, cattle steers. <laughs> we could do bulls, right? <laughs> Why not, right? <laughs> Why not? Um, to fishing, to just an opportunity for children. If you have little kids that would love to ride a horse, but, you know, I'm not quite sure about all that. Um, bring them out. It's a very informal time to get together. And so the more you guys know about, um, about Cowboy Church and what the ministry is all about, then, then you're more op- apt to tell people that you run across and meet, you know, meet the, about Cowboy Church and say, if you're not, you know, your, your space is not coming into a door, uh, into a church building, maybe this is a good space for you. And so um, another thing I thought was interesting is that I, you know, along with cowboys go horses, right? So um, I've kind of looked up how many um, times a horse is mentioned in the Bible. There's 59 times that God mentions horses in the Bible. And so, you know, he has a, 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 a place for horses, as a lot of all of us do, except for my husband. He kind of just has tolerated it um, because I do and my daughter does, and so we all have a love for horses. But, you know, God loves horses too, and I thought it was just interesting. Um, just one of the, the scriptures that came to me, I remembered um, about where it says um, about a horse is that uh, in Re- Revelations 19, verse 11, and it's where... Um, it says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, which I believe is Jesus, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. So even Jesus loves horses, so we're good. Um, but if you want to come to a very informal, um, just a relaxed place and time, um, Dean's going to talk about tonight and what's going to happening tonight. We meet the first and third Sunday of every month. Um, 
again, very informal, um, kid-friendly. You can even rope goats. We haven't talked about doing that, too. So um, anyway, so please come out tonight. And um, we start usually about 3 or 3.30. Because of the weather, we, we won't be able to ride or rope or do those kinds of things, actual live animals. Nadine has his rope, and we can practice roping. Um, but um, you can do some ground roping. But we uh, typically do that about 5, 5.30. We have a worship time, so... Um, that'll be really exciting tonight. I'm excited to hear a good friend of Peggy's that's going to be sharing tonight, which Dean will mention here in a moment. And then um, we have a potluck. So we have a message, worship, songs, worship, and then a message of some sort, and then a potluck. So just a good time to fellowship. So if you love to be out in the country, you love to be out and just God's beautiful creation, please come out and join us um, tonight or first and third Sunday of every month. And so Dean will talk about tonight. Yeah, we, we moved uh, from... Pegging our place to uh, nine one nine nine four seven, I think. Uh, yeah, there it is. Um, and we'll probably have that on Facebook on the Right Turn Facebook here later. But uh, really beautiful setting, uh, nice uh, barn. It's actually a barn that a woman Connie Klug turned into a kind of a really cool little picnic setting. It's got a volleyball sand court, and it's uh, nice and comfortable and pretty. So come um, tonight. Instead of riding, we'll, I'll, I'll get there before uh, 5.30. I'll probably get down there around 4 o'clock. So if you've got kids or something that want to come down and play with a rope and uh, rope and dummy and such, we'll, we'll help them. Um, anyway, we'll be there at that address. Uh, tonight, uh, Rick Arnold is a friend of Peg's. Uh, he's going to provide the music for us. And then Ellen, our daughter, who is one of our homegrown kids here from New Hope, uh, Ellen's been involved in a variety of different missions, and recently, or not recently, she uh, about two, three years ago, she joined the Army and is chasing her uh, chaplain uh, candidacy. She's going to be an Army chaplain, okay? Uh, so she's getting her Master's in Divinity right at this point in time. Uh, a couple weeks ago, she was promoted, or three weeks ago, to second lieutenant, so now she can formally go to chaplain. She's a chaplain candidate and will go to school and become an army chaplain. So she's going to share with us today. She's going to give the message. And uh, uh, gosh, I, I would just like to, if you haven't been there, uh, last one, Cindy said, if you've been to Cowboy Church, stand up. Why don't you just raise your hand if you've been to Cowboy Church? I know quite a few. Oh yeah, a good number. Wow. Hey, look yeah. Yeah, and the, the, the one thing that we're, we're doing, and I'll close this up real quick here, but uh, we kind of have the theory that, or the, the mission that you can only uh, move the herd as fast as the slowest cow, <laughs> all right? So we don't make it hard preaching. Um, we do. We add Bible. But we want, we want to offer something to, that may not be you, but you may have a friend that's been you know, estranged from the church, they haven't gone to church, they need to be back in, in, in God's family and uh, bring them. I mean, that's, or recommend them uh, to come to us because we really don't care what's happened to you, where you've been, what's going on, we want to welcome you. And so we're, we're just, we mean it as when we say, come as you are. And so you don't just necessarily have to be Western, you know, just come as you are and we would love to Love to love on you. So hopefully we can see you later. Uh, thank you for the time here today. So thanks.
So as the, as the band's getting set up, um, I can attest to, uh, I am definitely not Western. I'm probably not the furthest thing from a cowboy you can imagine, but, but I'm, I'm probably pretty close. Um, but I, I've been out to Cowboy Church a number of times, and just as I said, it's, uh, it, it's for everyone. It's really, it's such a, such a welcoming and accepting environment. Um, yeah, so if you haven't experienced that or, or had an opportunity to be a part, I just want to encourage you again, again to do that. Let's stand and, and sing one more song together to close our worship service. Bring love.